0: This week's episode is brought to you by Philip Grubauer. He caught a lot of noise from Avs fans this season, including from our show during the winter while he was struggling, but when he pulled it together, he backstopped the Avs to the 8-0-2 stretch that clawed them back into the playoffs. Here's to you, Grub.
1: This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey
2: League. Here's
1: a breakaway. it. Pure guts. Oh! They got nothing but
2: guts. They get, they get
1: guy with three big old cow hearts, two pancreases. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass and Look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for April 8th, 2019. The Colorado Avalanche have made the playoffs, and we're here to preview that today. Joining me are Earl. Hello, Earl.
2: How's it going, everyone?
0: And Jackie, hello, Jackie.
3: Greetings.
0: And Rudo, hello, Rudo. Hey, hey. On Monday, the Avs walk into St. Louis and fall behind two to nothing. Then come back to get a point in the shootout, three to the final. Gabe Landeskog and Alexander Kerfoot with the goals here. Colorado were outshot 15 to two in the first period, not ideal. Then, on Tuesday, they met the Edmonton Oilers back in Denver, fell behind 2-0, then came Roaring back to a 6-2 victory. Kerfoot had two goals, and Nathan McKinnon got his 40th. Tyson Barry, Colin Wilson, and Sven Andragetto also contributed to the score. Finally, on Thursday, the game everyone's been talking about, the Winnipeg Jets come to town and the Avs fall behind 2 to nothing. Detecting a theme here. And then they bring it back thanks to an absolute BB from Tyson Berry and a delicate deflection from Carl Soderbergh. And they somehow took a too many men on the ice penalty with under two minutes to go in regulation. They came into this game needing a single point to clinch. And that happened. My simple question to y'all is, what the heck?
3: (laughs) I'll admit that I failed with seven minutes to go. (laughs) So, I did not have that particular heart attack and i am not sad that i missed it
2: i just i I think it's it's a perfect encapsulation of the whole season Yep. you know that the penalty right at the end for too many men somehow eking a point out of it and then when nothing matters they score and actually win in overtime
0: yeah it's like johnson said in his post-game interview yeah we (laughs) sure don't make it easy on ourselves do we yeah. they don't. <laughs> so after about a minute and a half of panic and terror, the Jets hit the post. Matt Calvert took a shot off the post, and time expired. The Avs clinched their return to the playoffs. Eric Johnson would go on to score the game winner in overtime. That's why he was your first star of the night. Three to your final in four on four, because the recently expired penalty. Because of course it was. The Avs are ass three on three and would not have won that way. <laughs> Completely meaningless game. Eighty-two happened in San Jose on Saturday, but McKinnon stayed stuck on ninety-nine points. Barry stayed stuck on fifty-nine points, and Soderberg stayed stuck on forty-nine points. So nobody cares. Tell me your thoughts on the final week of the season.
2: I really liked the theme of going down two every game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why
3: they didn't yeah. win in San Jose. They scored the first goal
2: exactly.
1: It's... I. A while ago, I compared the abs to me as a student, <laughs> and every game, it's like they look at the clock, and they have a paper due at midnight, and it's six, it's 6.30, and they think, ah, I got two more hours. It's fine.
2: Yeah, I don't... I'm not sure what... I'm not sure how you, you can come out and sort of... It's not like they play really horribly in the first periods of those three games, but they they're really tentative. It, it looked like they really wanted to sort of scope out what the other team was doing, figure out a plan at the first intermission and then execute it. And you know, it, it worked. I, I just I, I don't know why you can't do that beforehand, but you know, you can't argue probably with are the results.
3: A bit nervous. You know, over like you said, overthinking, a bit nervous. You know, they want to have a good start. They want to score the first goal. Of course they do. It's just, it's a matter of execution. It's a matter of coming together. They, They always work better off of adrenaline and momentum, and they just don't have it. And it's something that we've talked about a lot, is that it seems like they can't dictate the game. They have to wait for the opponent to do something, and then they figure out how to counter-attack it. And so that's also another reason why they just can't grab a a must-win game like that. Yeah,
2: they're completely reactive. And, you know, it's it's not like the problems we've seen in years past where they would come out and just, you know, look like they're all hungover or something like that. I mean, they had, you know, they had plenty of skating energy. It's just... You know, it's like you pass to someone and it's in their skates or behind them or not even in the same zip code or something like that. It just, you know, timing is totally off and, you know, somehow they get that together at first intermission. And and that's the more impressive thing because going going from what they looked like in the first periods of those three games to, you know, full out dominating like they did against the Oilers to... You know, playing solid hockey against the Jets and, and the Blues even. Um, you know, that that's, that's pretty impressive that they can do whatever they did there.
1: Yeah, this has always been a team that rides off of momentum. When you look at, when they give up one goal, they almost always just seem to give up another one. So, yeah. you're looking at that first period and, you know, with a team that's maybe a little bit more mentally tough it takes the Avs a lot more to get back in the game, whereas a better team might be down one nothing mentally. A better team mentally might be down one nothing after 1, and the Avs find ways to be down 2 nothing instead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But but at, once least they... They
3: never... at least they never got down 3 nothing because I think that would have been too much. Right.
1: As long as they can keep themselves in the game, once they get over the hump and get their confidence back, they'll be just fine.
2: Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought that uh, veteran leadership was supposed to fix that. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's it, it's you know it, it's sort of the holy grail for the ABS. It's they can't you know they 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 can't get over the hump until they have enough experienced talent to you know be able to you know overcome these poor first periods or you know poor third periods or whatever the malaise of the week is. Um, but I mean, it, to me, it doesn't look like it's a vet leadership problem, um, and I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, you know, obviously being reactive and not really having a style of their own is, is a lot of it. Um, but it doesn't look like you know adding Brassard did anything to it, even though he's got 90 games of playoff experience. No, but,
1: it's but just even... a consistency problem. Like it, it always has been. The like you said. And randomly in first periods when we're bad, we just can't connect on our passes for no apparent reason.
3: Yeah, they just don't. Well, the leadership question thing is never fully explored. Like, what exactly would you expect, say, a Broussard to do at, in the leadership quotient? Like, okay, maybe he's been in pressure situations, but I mean. Are you, are you expecting, like, a pep talk? Is, is that, like, going to make all the difference? Like, what exactly is he going to do? Yeah, maybe he could talk to a couple guys and be like, hey, you know, this is what I did. But beyond that, like... I mean, I think it's an on-ice you... thing with, with those
2: guys. I mean, unless Broussard is passing to himself, you know, <laughs> the experience isn't going to help, you know? <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, if you have theoretically two experienced guys that aren't shaken by being in pressure situations, that that would be, you know, where it might help. But, you know, just having a guy like Broussard on the ice by himself, you know, with with two guys that, that aren't experienced, I don't know what that gets you.
3: Well, he's not in a big role either. Like, what difference is it going to make? Right. Like, it it exp- might
1: actively hurt you when he's the one <laughs> missing passes. <so. laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Where experience I mean, helps is for your your big players, EJ and McKinnon and Landeskog and everybody. Like, okay, it helps that those guys go through the playoffs, but I, but those aren't the guys you're buying. It just it makes no sense to me either.
2: Right. And, and when you see in the pressure situations, a lot of times these guys that they get for their experience are the ones making mistakes. I'm not saying they're the ones only making mistakes, but, you know, it's, everyone's making mistakes. They don't make any more or less than anyone else. <clears throat> You're looking at that like, so, you know, why did you do this? I mean, you could have had someone with more talent that's inside your organization be doing the same thing. And, you know, the, the experience and the leadership doesn't seem to make a difference here.
0: Well, this is where multiple playoff appearances will really do the team you know, a lot of benefit in the long run because you come around this time next season, you'll be able to have Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog and possibly Tyson Berry and Sam Girard, and just look at the team and say, look, all right, we've done this, we've done the winning, we we know what's about to happen, we know how nervous everyone's about to be, how bad everyone's going to want to both you know, win the game and also not fuck up and lose the game, so we're just going to go do it and you all can follow us. That's what's missing. Yeah, but don't you think... Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I see that, but
2: I think what's missing more than that is having a style of their own. And that's something that, you know, I, I think they should have been building over the last, you know, year and a half at least. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of troubling that it hasn't come forth yet. Is they don't have a style. They can't go out and say, this is how we're going to play and the other team is going to have to react to us. We're going to dictate this game and, you know, either they handle it or they don't, but we're going to play our way. And, and you know, having to be the reactor all the time, um, I, I just, I, I think that's something that probably makes them more inconsistent and it, 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 it probably loses them more games than we give it credit for.
0: Is there a weird squeak on your audio or is that your dog?
2: We have some birds here. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's spring.
0: We're not quite it's back spring. to the birds yet. The avalanche are still playing hockey, so tell them to shut up. We're trying to record a show. <laughs> Stupid birds. It's
2: a robin, I think.
0: But no, what what you're missing with with additions like Derek Brassard is that yeah, sure he may have all the playoff experience in the world, but he just doesn't have that sort of you know team leading on ice skill that maybe he had at one point. And right. what what you're looking for is your best players to be your best players and lead the way by example, Joe Sackick style.
3: Well, yeah, and you want your best players to be the leaders. you You don't want someone to come in for the last twenty games of a season and take over a room. That's very counterproductive. I think that that's kind of what we saw when we had a Ginla. It it, it doesn't help. Like you need to organically grow leadership. I gotta-
2: I don't think they got Broussard to be a raw, a raw guy in the room or anything like that. I mean, I think they, they do pick up these guys so that they can, you know, be consistent and predictable on the ice. And that's just, I mean, that's just not something that, that, that ho- hockey players are. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, hockey players fit into a team, and then you know, no matter what their genre is, they they tend to adopt the genre of the, the players that they play with.
3: Which is why it's so odd that just in the hockey culture and the whole deadline, and you got to get someone. Like, if you're a playoff team, you have to get someone. And it's just silly. Like, how many really make a difference? There's probably maybe one guy a year that, Stone. yeah, that a team gets at the <laughs> deadline and it like makes a difference. Everyone else, it's just kind of like rearranging the same old. And it, it just, it's, such a waste i think even that's hockey
1: two steps point when you're looking at these games, yes, obviously the Avs didn't start strong like we would like them to, but against the Blues, the Avs' first goal came from Landeskog, and then the tying goal, McKinnon and Landeskog got assists on. Against the Jets, the Avs' first goal came from Barry, so he's helping there. McKinnon and Johnson end up getting the OT winner there. Against the Oilers in the middle there, abs first goal comes from McKinnon, assisted by Landeskog. So those guys are stepping up and leading the team, it's just yeah. not coming immediately for some reason.
2: Right. And that's—I mean—that's one thing that I, you know, I don't know how you can do it. I mean, like developing a style is something that you can't try to do. Um, so it's—it's it's going to be interesting to see next year if they end up doing it. And you know, like you said, it's—it's going to have to be organic. It's going to be have to—it's—it's going to it's, it's gonna have to be something that they, um, sort of figure out on their own and are able to inflict their will upon opponents most of the time and i was i was looking through some numbers today and it's pretty funny that um the abs had four um streak uh, four streaks where they had <clears throat> uh 10 or more games without losing two in a row and there were streaks of 11 13 11 and 10 games and they got 70 of their 90 points out of those 44 games and the re- whole rest of the season, they got 20 points and 38. So it's just, it's so streaky and inconsistent. And I think without a style, without being able to go on the ice with a plan that they
3: know they can execute, you know, they're I, not I f- get the, the consistency that they need. I feel like that is the definition of this season was the streakiness. <laughs> and yeah. it, and it, it's like all teams go through highs and lows, Right, win streaks, losing streaks, whatever. But if you really look at it, it's crazy how yeah. hot and cold this team run. I, I think it was even more than last year. So, oh yeah,
0: yeah, their low stretch really was. That's really tough to predict. I, <laughs> I, I want to think their low stretch was somewhere in the forty-eight point pace area. I think it was, and, uh, yeah, or worse. Yeah. And, and those of you who listen to the BSN Avalanche podcast will have already heard AJ say this, but during their good stretches, they were on 113-point pace. Like, And yeah. it
3: wasn't even just the two months where they were terrible. It was like they had a, I believe, like a five-game win streak, a six-game losing streak before that.
0: That was the right... Yeah, and then they, they had another... Real si- si- similar, not serious. Why am I trying to say serious? They had a real similar <laughs> pair of stretches back to back like that around the trade deadline, where they won out of February and then went into March and went oh. oh,
3: yeah. And then and then they obviously ended on a high streak, and that that's what brought them here. So it's it's really hard to handicap this team though because it it just depends on what streak they're starting.
2: Yeah. It, well, I, I mean, I, I think the key for being consistent is being able to pull yourself out of bad streaks. You know, I, I mean, it's like, a, you know, the good streaks, you're fine with keeping those going. But it's like, you know, being able to be a stopper and, and be able to pull out of that three-game losing streak on the fourth game. You know, it's like you just can't lose four games in a row.
1: If and, I'm being honest, honestly, I think that comes down to offensive depth. Yes, you have the top three guys who are just insanely talented and can most nights score for you, but the Avs still significantly lack something when it comes to a second line. They have Soderbergh, who is probably the most solid, consistent depth scorer they have, but even he struggled down the stretch of the season. I think it was Steph that said after he took that hit from Eichel, he just hasn't been as good.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think we all agree about that. And...
1: Then your next scorer is Kerfoot, who is notorious for being extremely streaky in the second half. And after that, it just falls off even more. So that's getting that secondary goal scoring from a second line, especially on nights where the top guys aren't getting it done. I think will be a gigantic step to getting the abs to that consistency.
2: Well, I mean, I I, I think one theme of this year is the fact that they stuck with the top line for so long. Even when there was pretty good evidence that spreading the talent out was probably what they needed to jumpstart everyone else in the lineup. And I I just think that, you know, the the stubbornness that we kept calling out Bednar for, as far as how he crafted the lineup, you know, is something that, you know, it takes a situation when you're in a bad stretch and you keep doing the same thing. It makes it really hard to pull out of it.
3: Right. Well, they, they were waiting by, Continuing to do the same thing, they were pretty much waiting for the success to come back. And I guess ultimately it did, but could they have mitigated some of those losses by being more willing to try to change yeah. things up?
1: Did it? I don't know that it did. Because the first like comeback stretch was spurred by them breaking up the top line entirely, and then they slowly moved them back together and we sucked. And then Landy (laughs) got hurt, so they had to break up the top line because Landy couldn't play, and we got good again.
3: Right, and so they actually had to do something with the Soderbergh line, which I am a bit shocked since Nieto's been healthy. They didn't just immediately put that line back together. But hey, they kept winning by not putting that line back together immediately.
0: Maybe they learned something. I
3: I would also say a reason for the streakiness is the power play, and I know that we've... Explore the power play a lot in depth And that it has Been somewhat successful but there Are just so many games where it could Have made a difference especially late in the game And they they could just get nothing
0: Yeah But then at the same time We we know the (laughs) number There was a week this stretch when the Avalanche Basically only scored on the power play Like it was a massively clutch Part of their win over Arizona On the 29th of March Which is kind of consequential but yeah, there was like a month and a half where they got like a power play goal.
2: Right. It's. It, I've said this before, but I, their scoring on the power play appears to be random. <laughs> and I know, you know, I, I know that you can't like score more when you're trying harder or when you really need it or something like <laughs> that, but um, it's not a consistent thing. You know, it's not something you can say like, hey, if we get a, you know, if we're down a goal in the third period, we can get a power play and we'll be right back in this. Yeah you know the confidence isn't there that you're going to score and you know that makes you know that makes it easy for the opponent to commit infractions against you maybe they get called maybe they don't and it just you know it, it allows you to get manhandled in several different ways
0: we saw this happen in the in the game against Winnipeg where Colorado got that you know that laser goal from Tyson Berry and then it, on the next shift i think it was Winnipeg takes a penalty and Colorado's power play spins a full minute in the defensive zone. Like, it's it's almost a strategy at that point to take that penalty and destroy the Avs' momentum.
3: I believe it was yeah. the Blues game where they had three straight power plays to start the second period, and they finally scored on the third one, which is what right. I believe McKinnon scored. But it was like, it took that much, or maybe that was the beginning of the third, but anyway, it took that much time on the power play to finally break through.
1: Yeah, it, it relies so much on individual efforts, especially the first unit, and it becomes extremely easy for teams to basically just say, especially with Rant in and out, just cover McKinnon, and their power play literally can't function. When the Abs try to fall back on their system, their system is junk, nobody moves around, and they just end up turning the puck over.
0: You don't even have to defend the player standing in the slot because he's just a distraction.
1: Yep. They all... n- almost never try to pass to him. <laughs>
0: all you have to do is have someone kind of put a stick in his direction while Tyson Berry has the puck, so you can tie up the stick and prevent a deflection, and ta-da! That's all you gotta do.
1: It, it's incredibly frustrating to see such a skilled power play unit be so limited.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's...
2: we've said this. In... Many times, but it you know it, it becomes so much more evident when the second unit's out there having to do the same thing, and they don't have you know Mac or Miko, uh, you know to fall back on when you know obviously the system isn't being effective. And
3: but they're you they're know. more willing to change it up. So I agree with you that it's not pure talent and skill on the second unit. But when they fi- when they get more than fifteen seconds and a chance, like when Broussard scored his power play goal this week, it's because they actually had a few extra seconds and changed up a little bit of the movement. Yeah. And
0: they were able to they score. Actually worked it well. Yeah, they,
3: exactly. They have
2: to work harder to have any chance at, at creating scoring chances. So, you know, that, that inevitably makes them look better.
1: And you imagine if the first unit did stuff like that and you're like... Maybe we should do this all the time. I don't right, know. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah. Well, we're not going to it's April. They're not there's no time to change anything, but hopefully next season the power play has a a, a look that maybe moves at least a little bit.
3: Yeah. Well they'll have to work Makar in and I hope that they will have two units that can function.
0: Hey, while while we're in the in between topics, let's just go ahead and, and do Makar watch real quickly. What's uh, what, what's the latest there? And I'll answer my own question. The the uh, the team that that he plays for, which has slipped out of my head, UMass. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> UMass is in the Frozen Four. They're playing DU on Thursday, um, and then the national title game would be a Saturday, right? Yeah. Correct. Assuming that that his team wins on Thursday,
2: they should. Well, be the Hobey Baker Award is on Friday, and I assume he'd probably be sticking around for that.
0: Yeah, you have to imagine he's basically a shoe-in for that. Even if his team lost on Thursday, um, it makes more sense for him to potentially join the team for a Game 3 at home than for a Game 2 on the road. Right.
3: Yeah, I think we're kind of targeting that Game 3, as, which is on Monday, I believe. It is. as As a good chance that he could play in that game. Um, I don't know if it'll take a few days for him to get the old U.S. work visa, but then again, I believe since game two is in Calgary, I don't know if that makes it easier for him to play in that game, but that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves, especially if he wins that game on Thursday.
0: He and plays Saturday anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the exactly. he's already
1: living in the U.S., it should be pretty easy for him, but...
2: Yeah, it's a student visa. It's a different deal. I, I
1: know, but they're way quicker about getting it done if you can already prove your residency.
2: Did you say yeah, way quicker in relation to something with the abs? <laughs>
3: well, I, I don't <laughs> I think it's going to be an issue, but it's it it's something. Like, if he's available yeah. and then he's, he's not playing, people are going to wonder what's going on. I just thought I'd mention it, that it is something that may or may not be a hurdle which i'm sure they would clear fast cuz the us and canadians are it works pretty fast if it's european that's when you have to wait like a full week
0: yeah totally i mean if if you follow competitive gaming at all you know that visas are killing esports and i would really hate to see visas kill the nhl playoffs as well but we'll we'll see what ends up happening with uh with with that but at any rate for we we hope that Makar is still Playing hockey on Saturday and is able to you know, bring himself a national title and his, and a Hobie Baker when he finally does join the Colorado Avalanche. I guess the assumption is that he will be joining the team.
3: Before I the think so. Is over? I think they've teased it enough. They teased it on altitude. Like every every news report you see about the the Abs in the playoffs, they talk about Makar playing in the playoffs. It just seems like it's something that's known at this point that he is going to join the Avs, but i guess there's still always the question should he are we all in agreement that he should how do you guys feel about that
2: i think there's probably one situation where he shouldn't and that's if they go down three zip and he still hasn't played yet
3: yeah i do wonder about that like if it's like if it's if you're really thinking it's gonna be like one or two games is it worth it
2: yeah, I mean, if it looks like they're going to get swept on that Wednesday and that would be his first game, I'm, you know... I I, I
1: I think he should, but I do question Bednar's willingness to play him. Like, obviously we understand Makar's a great player, but he has not had any experience under Bednar with the Avs systems, and Bednar has shown a propensity to not want to sit guys like Nemeth, especially in a playoff game, so...
2: But if you're doing three nothing, I guess nothing's working, so may as well, right? I
3: mean, you would uh, hope that they've <laughs> they've sat down and had this discussion. Like, if yeah. the abs are gonna burn the contract and burn his expansion draft exemption, they better damn sure have had a discussion about is this guy actually gonna play? And, and is i he I think they're gonna play should. more than five minutes.
1: Right. I think they should, and I think he will. I'm just trying to come up with a bit of a counter argument there, and Bednar is kind of the center of that.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you don't want to put you don't want to put Makar in a situation where you know he he practically can't help the team. <clears throat> and if you know if that would be the case, then you know I'd be fully on board with them not playing him. But I just you know I I don't see a situation where even using him as a seventh defenseman in. Uh, you know, a a pretty limited role and see how it goes. Maybe, you know, if he only ends up playing six minutes, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, maybe in his two or three minutes in the first period, it really looks like he's rolling. And that just, you know, rolls exponentially.
3: It seems like Bender's on board because he mentioned talking about him being able to help. He said that he even watched Quinn Hughes to see his impact. So that has to be something that he's thinking about and how he's going to work from in.
2: Right. I mean, it's, it's almost unthinkable that he wouldn't be able to, you know, be a net good.
0: Well, I mean, you're coming straight from the NCAA to the NHL playoffs and you're playing against um, Calgary's forwards. He's like, there's a better than average chance that he will just be immediately in over his head here. And it's about how well he can adapt to that and still help the team out, um, despite you know having no experience at this level and facing some really high-powered scoring from Calgary.
3: I think for yeah, sure but- you'd use him offensively at least. Like I, it's not. A, I think Makar can't defend. It's just if you're throwing him in there, you're you're definitely hoping for the offense. But the other thing is Calgary doesn't know him either. So whatever kind of like momentum you get from just getting your feet wet because we see a lot of these young guys they, they come in, they start, they do well right away and then it kind of declines before they go back up again so what you're hoping for the Macar bump I guess you could say is that you throw him in there and the other team just also has no idea what to expect from him I, I look at it this way
1: imagine Patrick Nemes standing there strapped to his cement blocks against <laughs> Calgary's offense <laughs>
0: You don't have and, to imagine it. It's gonna happen.
1: <laughs> right. And and then you look at Makar, and sure, he may end up making some rookie mistakes, but one thing that will not be a problem for him is keeping up with those guys and even tracking down most of them. He is fast enough that they won't just be able to blow by him.
2: Yeah. And it you know, and he's also physical. Um he's not a finesse player at all. <clears throat> so it's it's you know, I, I think too many people have this idea of him as is Tyson Berry or, you know, someone that that's sort of an offensive forward that, you know, really doesn't play a, a physical game at all, and that that's totally not him. I mean, he'll blow people up bad.
0: Yeah, he, he he's not the post ankle injury Eric Carlson.
2: Right, um, and another thing, not that the NCAA is anything close to the level of the NHL, but he's been playing difficult tournament. And playoff style games for a few weeks now, and then, you know again, it's the level of skill and speed is not the same, but sort of the the pressure and the situations are similar. So I, I mean, I think his mind will be in the right place to start playing
3: a, in a series like this. And ordinarily, I probably would complain about the expansion draft part, but it's just something you have to do when you have this kind of high end. Player you just you have to do what you have to do, basically, and it just seems like there's already kind of an agreement in place that if he's available and there's NHL games left that he's going to play in them, and I'm okay with that because he's going to win the Hobie Baker like you want to have this guy signed, and you want him on your team yeah
0: he's, he's going to win the Hobie Baker as a defender, as a sophomore like. Without question. Yeah, exactly. like, like he's like the runaway favorite. Right. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, unless it's adding him for one game, I think that's really dopey. Um, but otherwise, I think I, I would support adding him and I would support not adding him. There's very strong arguments in either direction. Whatever the team does, I'm just going to watch it. And,
3: yeah. and selfishly, I want to see him. I want to see what he can do in the. Oh yeah, in the NHL, and and I think it could he could make a difference. I mean, if he scores one goal, or you you never know, that could make a
0: difference. What if he brings in a fucking hat trick? <laughs> that would it be scores fun. the shootout
2: winner. Oh wait, uh, <laughs> Kale McPaley.
0: <laughs> so let's go ahead and work on wrapping up um, the regular season, at least you know in some limited way. And I want to start with our entire um, broad perspective on the season stars and scratches. And okay, obviously, obviously the clear you know points winner number one Nathan McKinnon. I think we can probably all agree there.
1: I, of course. Yeah, that's not close.
0: <laughs> so who else do we add to this season's list of Avalanche stars? Miko. Also yeah,
1: not M- close. yes. Miko and Gabe are freebies,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah
3: I mean, uh-huh. I,
2: you know I, I think I obviously the abs did you know they did fine with both those guys out of the lineup, but you know there was just so much that went into getting to the situation where they could do fine without those guys in the lineup that you know they just make the team so much better.
3: The others are hard because everyone kind of had a good stretch, but was maybe not consistent. <laughs> you can't say consistently over the whole year.
0: Right.
3: Like you have to think about giving Grubauer a star, especially for what he's done lately, because without his performance, they pretty much would not have been in the playoffs. But you give him a star for the whole year. I don't know if I'd be on board with that.
0: Right. That's very yeah, it's like to, a- to give him a star
2: it? I mean, he's sort of gotten back to pretty much average in his numbers, and it's taken a you know a king hell streak like he just had to, to do that.
0: Yeah, he's got an insignificantly positive goal saved above average right now, which is right. no small feat considering that his that he was like an eight seventy goaltender for a while.
2: Right. So. You know, Perfect. as far as a whole year star, I, I have a you know I have a hard time doing that. But I'm also not one of the people that thinks goaltending was the the main issue during the malays. So, I, I'm fine with giving him a star. And I'd say he
1: worked his way off the scratch list, but I don't think I could give him a star either. <laughs> yeah,
0: if we're looking at three stars, then we have a really hard decision to make, in my opinion, because you have to leave off one of Gabe Landeskog and Tyson Berry. And yeah, I don't I, know I which, which you leave off in that situation. It's very difficult.
1: I think you probably have to leave Barry off because of what you yeah, talked about, him. that inconsistency. Um, yeah. It, he had some very low stretches. But at the same time, how many 60-point defensemen are there in the league? You know, I know he only had 59 or whatever, but that's a hard thing to do.
2: Yeah, I mean I you know obviously the last 2 weeks have really you know jacked his you know case up for for being the third star but um I you know he he's been very good. I think he's you know I think he has the same goals scored as he did last year and a couple more points. So I mean it's nice to see that consistency sort of year to year, but he's always been very streaky and, and sort of disappears around the middle of the year for a while.
3: Yeah, like uh, between December I think it's December and March, he had nine even strength points. That's not yeah. enough. That's that even if we say with Barry you forgive some of the defense because of what he brings you offensively, but you can't disappear for that long at even strength and get a credit for his offense. Right.
0: And then I'll circle back into my own conversation here and add that Tyson Berry's like vital offensive impact wasn't really felt per se until Gabe Landeskog was down with an injury, which yeah. means that the more important player here was Gabe Landeskog.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And that, you know, and we can always give Landy extra points for all the things that don't show up in the scoreboard as far as so we're taking some of the tougher duties that allow McKinnon and Rantanen to play the way they do. And
3: you know, and the hair. I thought, Lan- I thought Landeskog had a fantastic season. I mean, I'm not holding him getting injured against him. No,
0: of course
3: not. But yeah, but to hit, to hit 30 goals and 70 points for him is like, there were a lot of players that had career highs, but I, I think his career high was the most significant.
2: Yeah. And, and, and he's over a point per game, even though it's only 70... What what did he end up? 73? Something like that. Um, I think 73 and 72 games, something close to that.
0: I don't have the sub because I'm like just not smart at all. 75 points <laughs> in 73 games.
2: Actually, I think I do. Um, but, you know, having three guys that are a point per game or better... Um, you know, you're just like wow. <laughs> <You> <laughs> and know, I... how many times did we dream of Matt Duchesne finally being a point per game player? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a different league.
3: Even season. hitting thirty yeah. goals, yeah. Like sure, but it was like, how many years did we go without thirty a thirty goal score? How many years did we go without a hat trick? It's
0: yeah, that it is that like an... preposterous. Like give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> An I remember trick at the Pepsi Center is a unicorn for a while.
3: <laughs> the Landeskog playoff prophecy was any year that he scores sixty points and twenty-five goals, they've made the playoffs.
2: Also, any year that Burgundy Rainbow has been in existence, we've made the playoffs.
3: That too.
0: Well, it's obviously you're welcome. Burgundy Rainbow is obviously the first star. <laughs> like that's obvious, and the second star is Mark all. <laughs> so, um, just just to be a big old downer, I'm gonna ask y'all for this season's scratches as well. Um and I kinda wanna this is ask tough for, we, for... I kinda wanna ask us to lay off the the whipping boys on this one as well, if if at all possible.
3: Can I scratch Who qualifies development?
2: As a whipping boy
0: Like, is it is it Gabe Bork's fault that there's not someone higher than him on the death chart?
3: No. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And relative to Gabe Bork, was he honestly that bad? That kind of thing. Mm
3: -hmm. I think he was worse this year, to be honest. But I agree it's not really fair to pick on the fourth liners or the the end of the roster. If you want to
1: scratch that, scratch the staff for playing (laughs) them.
3: Yeah. I would like to scratch development. That would be my scratch. I think they pretty much failed this year. Because I honestly, if you take the whipping boys out, which I just said I agree with, I don't think anybody was that poor over the season. It's tough.
2: Dries was pretty bad, but he's kind of a whipping boy at this point. Whipping boy. Um, Yeah, I mean it's not just development, but you know, sort of the you know the coaching and management decisions and how they crafted the lineup. And how how long they stuck with they stuck with something that wasn't working. Um, you know, if anyone deserves scratches, it's probably because of those decisions and not because of anything inherent in their
0: play. Well, that goes in nicely with my scratch suggestion, which is the Frat Line, um, as they continue to force it, even though it was continuously not ever good. Once we we said going into the season that for the Avalanche to take another step this season that specifically the members of the frat line, I'm talking Tyson, Jost, Alexander, Kerfoot, JT Comfer, needed to take another step. And... I think they have in their own ways. Not much of one, though. Like, they needed to take a real step forward.
1: The only one who took a real step forward, I think, was Comfer, and even that was a half step. Yeah. So, none of them got to the level we wanted.
0: (laughs) Tyson, Jost, definitely finished the season strong. I want to make he, that very clear.
1: They're all moving in the right direction, just and slowly.
3: And I think <laughs> has to g- get credit for, he scored eight points in the first six games Miko was out. He was a huge part of why they were able to go eight, oh, and two.
0: Sure. Yeah. It is, with with Tyson Jones. I, should... I think it took like 65 games for him to finally start going in the right direction. And for whatever reason that might be, it, he was just not good enough for a very long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I said this the other day, but I don't think that the, the kids on the frat line did a great job of, you know, doing what the Avalanche sort of had them square pegged into as far as roles. But I do think they all improved as far as who they are, you know? Um, used properly, these guys can all do their jobs well and be productive. But it's like the, you know... The, the staff and management didn't seem to realize what those rules ought to be at the beginning of the season. And I you know, I think that sort of goes back to more of the, the coaching management getting a scratch for that because <clears throat> you know they they just they look like they don't know what the, those guys were were, you know, able to do as far as helping the team at the beginning.
3: Yeah, a lot of the things that we complained about through this season aren't invalidated because they made the playoffs. I mean, obviously it's a happy time. It's an accomplishment. They did more right than wrong, I guess you could say by finally arriving at this point, but there's still a lot of things that they can improve on. (laughs) And a lot of things that are founded in organizational philosophies that need to change. But Hey, for now, for the next however many weeks, it's a party.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the good shit to bad shit ratio this year came out very slightly positive. Which is, <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Just kind of back, piggybacking off of that thought, my scratch is everything involving the Derek Broussard situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. The trade was bad in concept when we made it. It was bad in practice on the ice, and Derek Broussard was bad.
0: Do the Avalanche <laughs> make the playoffs without Derek Broussard? I don't think is even a question worthy of discussion. <coughs> Like, yeah, it's <laughs> not, right. That, Did, he scored so the whole, some goals, but that anybody can score. He scored some
1: four goals. goals in twenty games, and that zero assists. So he was on a sixteen-point pace oh, yeah, for an I entire season. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it there does seem to be an underlying theme with all our choices here, and it you know it doesn't have much to do with the players.
1: Right. It boils back down to management in one way or another.
0: Right. It, either team management or player management um, yeah. but I mean it, it, it's like Jackie said we at, we're we at this point of the season where like there's nothing anybody can do is going to change anything all, all that there right. is is you know super fun time just you know shout your lungs out until the season is over and then we can do a real postmortem but right now let's have some fun
2: right but we're yeah. just rolling
3: the dice now
2: Go look at the flags downtown above the street with all the <laughs> avalanche players on them. It's That's neat. Nice.
3: I really do love the flags.
0: Yeah. But throughout the year, um, we said maybe a dozen times, boy, if they don't make the playoffs, we'll really look back at this moment as a blown opportunity. So today I want to ask the opposite. And I'll go first. swing at the obvious out of the way. L- looking back at this season, what are some of the moments that we can point to and say that right there? was clutch for making the postseason. And my first moment is just kind of, you know, the two weeks, the last two weeks of the season in general where the Avalanche got ten, or got points in 10 games straight and won 8 of them. Um, but specifically beating Arizona on March 29th in what I'm told was an unacceptable shootout was <coughs> just an absolutely you know, must-win game that they went out and just won in a way that was not exactly the same as how they'd won a bunch of other games this year, so they found a way to make it happen, and they made it happen, and that was absolutely vital in this run.
1: Was that a Mike Babcock impression?
0: (laughs) I just like the way the man says opportunity. (laughs) With a real round ooh to it. It sounds awesome.
1: Uh, But yeah, I I agree with your, your sentiment there. I think... I might track it back a little further to the star of that late run in Philip Grubauer. um, Back to the shutout against Nashville. It it really seems like that's where at least Grubauer, and to a lesser extent, Varley, started to turn it around in net for the Avs and and get them back to where they should have been. I'm going to
0: disagree with that because Varley was good in February. His numbers were that's fine fair. February, and that game was February 23. But it the, definitely is where Grubauer turned it around, no question there.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's my point, is Varley played, what, like, three games after that, or four games or something, so...
2: No, he played a bunch after that, they just weren't good. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I scrubbed
1: all the bad ones from my memory then, but...
2: <laughs> They went two, five, and one right after that, but the, yeah.
1: The, the focus more there, anyway, is on Grubauer... Yeah. Remembering that he's an NHL goaltender, so
3: my answer was kind of piggybacks off of Steph's is is Air, beating Arizona, a team that you had to stay ahead of. But I I think for me it starts when they beat Vancouver in the shootout. I think it was Soderberg won the shootout there, and that was the first team that they stayed ahead of and then they steadily marched through the next group of teams then it was minnesota then it was chicago then it was arizona like they and this was how it was last year because i remember when they beat calgary and then that kept calgary behind them for the whole rest of the the run and it was like you know, we, we say these games are like must win, but there's like 20 games left. So is it really a must win? It's kind of ridiculous, but it's true. It's like every team that you can beat head to head and move ahead of seems to be a very significant mark in being able to make it to the finish line and in the playoffs. So for me, that's kind of when it started, even though they still had some bad games after that Vancouver game, that's when they started to be able to put teams behind them.
0: You know, I love this answer um, for unrelated reasons, but I love this answer. That was that game was on February 27th. That's right before the trade deadline. Um, that game, Colorado won in a shootout, and if you remember, like, half of the players on the bench could not watch <laughs> yeah. because that was the first game that went past regulation that the Avalanche won since November 18th. <laughs>
3: that too. Yep.
0: I don't have a joke. That's that's the joke. That that's it. So I mean, that was where you saw that like, just iconic photo of um, you know, Jost and Kerfoot like looking the other way as Gabe Landeskog watched for them and then celebrated first, and then they celebrated. <laughs> and that really uh-uh. does like that really does a lot for the team. That was that also came at the end of a. Uh, Eleven points in twelve games stretch. 12 I'm going to go games. eleven points in six
2: games. I'm going to go way back to very early in the season. The ABS had gotten off to a really good start. Um, they were, I think, they were seven two and two in their first uh, eleven games. Uh, but then they went on a little bit of a losing streak. They lost five in a row, and they they had a a loser point in there against. Uh, Vancouver on that awful trip to Western Canada. Um,
0: that was when they had a week off and then they played a back to back and then they had a week off. Yeah. And <laughs> seems good.
2: Then they went through, you know, they, they, they went through the the five game losing streak and it's like at that point, you know, you didn't really know who they were. It's like, this was, this was still a team without an identity. I mean yeah, they made the playoffs last year kind of a surprise. Uh, a lot of people didn't think they were gonna make the playoffs this year. just sort of a, a little bit of a regression and maybe they didn't make enough moves over the the summer to to stay competitive. Uh, but we're really you know we're really wondering if they were able to, you know be close to a playoff team. And then they beat Edmonton on the 11th of November. And that kicked off uh, a streak that is actually just as good as the one they, they went through before clinching. They went 9 and 2 in 11 games um, through December 2nd. And that got them, they were tied with Nashville for the leading points. I guess they weren't actually leading the conference, but that was, you know, that they were very high in the standings at that point. and obviously things went a little bit sideways after that, but Uh um, that win streak kind of allowed them to not be totally buried by playing terrible for the next 28 games.
3: Well, it's Um, good to to remember that because all the points count the same. So if you get two points in October, November, they're going to help you down the line.
0: So, and and that,
3: And that's true, like every season that you have a really good start is such a big step forward to making the playoffs. Right,
2: and they, you know, it's like they, I think they only went under 500 once, and I forget when it was, I think it was sometime in January or maybe very early February. Um, But again, you know, it's like that 11-game stretch from mid-November to very early December was what allowed them to not have the season be totally lost by playing terrible for a third of it in the middle. And so, I, I mean, I, I think that's, it's, it's probably not going to be fresh in everyone's mind when they're watching the playoff games this year. But you know, that, that streak is just as important as the one at the end that got the, the clincher.
3: And that's when Miko was a God. Yeah. And I I think he was a huge part of, them being that successful early on was just how incredible he played.
0: Yeah, the, the Gabe Landeskog, yeah, we are the best line in hockey. Mike Drop was somewhere in there. Um, yep. Was, <laughs> there was just a bucket full of swag on this roster. And we started talking about, you know, December being opponents that were maybe a little bit lesser than and the opportunity to bank some points, which they then failed to do. Um, which became a theme for the whole season. The the Avalanche were able to absolutely get it done when they really needed to, but if they were just like, hey, let's get some cushion going, not so much. Um, But that streak was the one time they gave themselves enough cushion, and it was just enough. So that's a really good pull. I'm glad you remembered that. It held them
3: into a playoff spot for a long time. They didn't fall out until close to the end of their two months of bad... They got a lot of help there, but... <laughs> they sure did.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other quote-unquote moment that kept the abs in the playoffs, is the West is bad. Yep. <laughs> uh, but
1: I, I did want to throw an honorable mention out to our health across the entire season. Yeah, I know it, I, it did fail us a tiny bit down at the end there with Landeskog and in. but there were more than a few moments on the season, especially with Miko, where everyone was going kind of oh no, and then he was okay. <laughs> so that's uh, you know if if any of the big three miss more significant time, we're probably not in the playoffs.
3: It's true. I mean, you have to you have to also give credit to Soderberg played every single game. So did Calvert and Gerard, and. The, I think really? Barry only missed four games. EJ only missed two. I mean, to to have that from your, I would say, top three defensemen, basically play every game is EJ's huge.
2: played 80 games for the Avs.
3: Right. And McKinnon <clears throat> played every game. So that, that is pretty good, especially when you see what some of the other teams had to deal with.
2: Right. That's um, sort of, I, I mean... You know, that that sort of, <laughs> I guess it sort of diminishes the accomplishment of making it barely into the playoffs. And, and the goalies, healthy, too.
3: But... <laughs> and the goalies were healthy, too, miraculously.
0: Yeah. yeah. As far as we know, at least.
1: At least physically healthy. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> you know, there was a t- there was some times I started to kind of wonder um, about Grubauer specifically, just because he was so slow to move across and so slow to track pucks. It was like, is there? Like there's something going on to where your head is just not all there right now, but whatever I don't know what it is. We
3: took that little rest and was it February that that whatever happened there, if it was a mental reset, if it was healing something that was bothering him. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but that seemed to be a big help.
0: And thank God Varley came back to league average for that month.
3: Yeah. So Maybe he
2: had bunion surgery.
0: With that, let's go to the playoffs. <laughs> Colorado pick up the second wild card spot, making them the fifth team from the Central, just like we all predicted at the beginning of the year. Um, I mean, didn't we? Like the the the, the Pacific was no good, and we didn't expect them to be any good. Yeah, I think we just didn't realize the Central wouldn't be much better. Um, so the the Central is going to be Nashville versus Dallas and Winnipeg versus St. Louis. That's uh. That that second matchup is looking like an absolute blood match.
2: And and, the- and hold, just just one second, it, it's it's incredible to me that Nashville won the division with 100 points even.
3: Well, it was a um, three way tie going into yesterday,
2: the- right? <laughs> <It> sure was. <laughs> and it, it's, I mean, like you know the big bad Central and all that, and one team hits 100 points barely, and that's you know that that's just weird because i mean that's not the rep that we have i mean
0: um no and it, and it's not because it's a bunch of good teams in the central beating each other up either like this this division refused to figure out like, like no one in this division wanted a playoff spot and no one in this division <laughs> wanted to win the division
3: no there also wasn't any total dogs either though i mean you look at the other divisions they all have some pretty poor teams.
0: Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, like I mean, 80, Minis- Chicago and Minnesota's eighty four and eighty three points are not the bottom of other divisions.
2: Right. I mean, you know, the 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 worst team in our division is above five hundred.
3: So, so it was a lot of you could say mediocre, or maybe a slightly above average teams playing each other. So it did all kind of come together as a bunch of teams all within the same range. Not a whole lot of separation.
0: Yeah. Well, fortunately the Avalanche are able to escape that Gauntlet for the playoffs, and they're gonna head to the Pacific, where they will play Calgary in the first round in the in the Battle of the Letter logos. The other Pacific Division matchup is between San Jose and Vegas, as we have known for like three weeks now. Like San Jose, Vegas, and Toronto, Boston, like we've all we've known that's been what's gonna happen pretty much since March started. So
3: Yeah. And I'm glad to be in the Pacific bracket. I'll probably regret this, like, a week from now. But, and especially after you saying how mediocre the Central was, you know, maybe it would have been a better thing to play a a 100-point team, Nashville team, maybe that would have been a better draw, but... I just, I'm so glad to get away from those teams. I'm sick of all of them. I'm sick of hearing about them. If we had to ha- go through a whole series and hear about Ryan O'Reilly every day, I would need medication. Tired of your face. I don't want to hear about how Peg is. I don't want to hear about all the bullshit about Nashville's defense. <laughs> I'm glad to get away from all of them. Thank you. And even if
0: miracle <laughs> of miracles, Colorado make it all the way to the Western Conference Final, like they'll be able to do that without having to get through the magic voodoo of Jordan Bennington.
3: Yeah, and the, and the goaltending's better in the Central too. So,
0: I'm into that. I mean, it depends on if you get like God Mode playoff Mark Andre Fleury out of Vegas, but otherwise, it sure is.
2: Yeah, the the Pacific is definitely the no goalie division.
3: So yeah, maybe it's for selfish reasons, maybe it's nice to have a break, but I I welcome this series with Calgary, and I've written it several times that I like the matchup, with. on paper it doesn't look good, I, I don't feel like the was played very well in the games that they played against Calgary, even though it was, they were back and forth, I didn't think they played very well, but... You know, on paper, they have this deep team, and they had a great season and all that, but they're not very playoff experience.
0: Yeah, let's let's, and let's I, go ahead and start with why Colorado are going to lose this series. Like, oh, okay. Sorry, I don't mean to jump ahead of you. Yeah, let's do this one, one step at a time. Like Calgary won the West. Um, they, they didn't do that for no reason. This is a team that can absolutely light the net on fire, no pun intended. Um, they have, they're much deeper in their forward core than Colorado are. And it looks like Mark Giordano should be a strong Norris candidate.
3: And I would say the one main reason they play physical and the abs are going to have to deal with that. And I th- I feel like that was really their downfall in the game in the regular season. It's Calgary that, um, that I think they could match him with skill, maybe not depth necessarily, but I think skill for skill they match up fine there. It's just then Calgary can turn up the physicality and the Avs can't, and I think that's why they lost all three games they did against Calgary.
1: See, I think it's kind of the opposite of that. Because offensively, I agree they can match the skill, but if our defensemen end the series with their jerseys facing the correct direction, I think it'll be a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) because we're way less set up defensively to be able to defend against a team with that much speed and skill.
0: One thing Chantal mentioned in the uh, Burgundy Rainbow Discord today was this kind of a fear of, of how hard Calgary forechecks, and one thing we've seen time and time again this season is if you're not Tyson Berry or Sam Girard, the Avalanche don't leave the zone with, with a forecheck in their face. It just doesn't happen.
3: Yeah, and that's something that the think and the staff are going to have to figure out. Like, there's no excuse now just to say, oh, no, we just got four-checked. Like, you have until from Sunday to Thursday to figure it out. Like, what are you going to do? You can't just succumb
0: to it. Like, They're going to four-check you hard. It's part of hockey. It's like going into a basketball game and going, oh, well, the other team played a full-court press. We just couldn't handle that. Like... <laughs>
3: Right, they're gonna have to come up with something. Like, I know the this is the people you have, this is the players you have, your roster, but you have to think of something.
0: Well, what are some solutions that we would have to that little forechecking problem that Colorado have struggled with so goddamn much this year? Just infuriatingly.
2: Um, three Bring words. in my
3: car. <laughs>
0: that's also three words
2: (laughs) support the puck yes um i i I think that they've you know everyone loves the stretch pass it's it's sort of it's been really in vogue um calgary does love to use the stretch pass themselves goudreau is is famous for sitting behind the, the opposing d's but I I really don't think that's the direction that the abs need to go. I I really think they need to have, you know, at least a four a four man exit uh, most of the time. I I don't think they can afford to fly the zone and and you know try and chip and, and win a puck battle in the neutral zone. Now maybe. After a couple of games, if it looks like they're they're sort of winning those those fifty fifty pucks on the chip outs, then you know they can start using that a little bit more. But I, I really think that they're going to have to um, attack the middle of the ice on their zone exits, and you know, and stick with it because uh, I mean, the only way to defeat Calgary's forecheck is is going to be to, to attack the middle and and get out as a group.
1: Yeah, I. I agree, especially with the attack the middle part. The abs just so often send their breakouts immediately up the boards, and then their their skaters have nowhere to go. And you need to have that extra room. You can see it. When McKinnon gets room in the center of the ice, it's a clean exit, it's a clean entry, like, every single time.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: And we've seen, you know, like, I've watched Kerfoot get a lot better at his zone exits over the past couple of weeks um Andrew ghetto who is usually very good at entering the zone um not generally known as a zone exit guy but they've been kind of using him uh, in that role a little bit and he's been fairly good at, at staying
3: towards the middle um, i think miko's gotten better this year i think his exits and entries are better
0: well the hope is that he's back yeah. for game one would they they asked jb about it at a press conference either after game 82 or or, some, or something like that he said that everyone should be available so
3: yeah, he's been skating the last few days, and he's looked pretty good. He's yeah. he's looked pretty crisp and mobile, and so I would be very surprised if he doesn't play game one.
0: Be good to get him back.
3: A- another Definitely thing to
1: beat the uh, the four check I would say is trust your skaters. If you. It's risky, but if you let your whoever's breaking it out, whether it be Barry, Gerard, Johnson, whoever, if you let them skate with the puck and make a move and beat a guy a couple times, that dude's going to think twice before he forechecks as aggressively
3: again. Yeah. Yeah, I just worry all that is going to take a little bit more discipline and maturity than they have, but... Maybe they could use some more leadership there. (laughs) 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 But it is something they should try, because I agree... You're gonna have to do something to counteract it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's going to be tough, and they've used the the Cole and um, Nemeth pairing a lot together lately, which I'm fine with because I like Zadorov with Barry a lot. But that does leave that pair susceptible to being trapped in the zone. So you know, sort that's that's going to be where they Hopefully really have to work on the zone exit. Older. Right. But Error. then, you know, they're going to have to play at least two games without him, so... Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's really tough. Like, this definitely belongs in the why the Abs lose the series category, because when you have Cole and Nemeth out on the ice together, you're asking your forwards to do something very impossible for this team, and that's play smart. You have to know <laughs> which defenders are on the ice, and know that, okay, they're not going to be able to hit me between the red and other blue line, I've got to help them exit the zone
2: right and that's you know it's it's more important times 10 to be you know responsible and stay where you need to be on the breakouts when those guys are on the ice but i mean you can really see that with anyone even if sam's on the ice or barry's on the ice i mean calgary is so quick and has such an attacking philosophy on their forecheck regardless of who's breaking the puck out if you're not going to support then you know they're just going to be able to get the puck and reload really quick,
3: and yeah, we've seen that quite a bit in the last couple weeks.
0: So, if that forecheck seems to be something that we all agree is a really tough ask for the Avs to deal with, for them to win this series, they have to deal with it. And I think we just yeah. spend a little bit of time laying out um, how they might deal with it. But what are some other reasons that Colorado might? you know, actually pull off this upset.
2: Uh, Grubauer keeps playing the way he has.
3: Yeah, hot yeah. goalie. I mean, uh, yeah.
1: It, it's anything. always the case in the playoffs. If your goalie yeah. gets hot at the right time, you can win it all.
2: And, and, you know, Convert, I don't know who, like, what? what's the word on the street? Are they going to use Mike Smith or the or Rittich or what?
3: I thought I read something that they were considering using Riddich against us because he played so well against us, but Sure. I don't think I Anything. saw the primary source on that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes, please rely I mean, on I, a very small goaltending sample. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very clever. I, I would say,
3: I would say, goaltending in general, that goaltending is not their strength. So,
2: yeah, that's something that the Avs have to take advantage of. And I'm not, you know, like, obviously the Avs play worlds better when they score first. Um, but I, I just I, I don't think that's as crucial in the playoffs. But you obviously you can't get down to nothing in the first period. That's that's a big no no. Yeah. So I, score, I, you know, be able to score against Calgary's. You know, I mean, their defense is really good too. So.
1: Right. It's. I mean, we're not too worried, or I'm not too worried. I think McKinnon, Landeskog, and Ranton will get theirs. But we saw it against Nashville last year. What really helped the Avs was the depth scorers stepping up. Gabe Bork scored in two games in a row against Nashville. Yeah, and that's, that's tertiary
0: that's, scoring at that point.
1: Right, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what the Avs need. You know, They have all these players that are supposedly playoff heroes like Wilson and Brassard. So it's
2: time to be playoff heroes. <laughs> and Sven was a playoff hero last year.
0: I, I remember Wilson being a playoff hero last year himself. He was...
2: Very good. The first two games, yeah.
0: And what I
3: was mentioning earlier is just that Calgary is playoff inexperienced. I think they only made it twice in the last 10 years.
0: <laughs> One of them so... lost to the Oilers. <laughs> 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 and their last year
3: <laughs> was two years ago. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. So I think that's going to even the playing field a little bit, too. Because you look on paper, they won the Western Conference, they had a very strong season, they have good depth, and that's all true, but when they're kind of coming at it from the same place the Avs are, as far as that experience, yes. I think that's, because could, they could be kind of having a little bit of a why not us, you know, maybe a little bit better than they really are, and that's gonna put them so much more evenly matched, I think.
0: Well, all, the, yeah, I mean, I all think the teams in the, the Pacific TV... are buoyed. Like, their points are buoyed, because they played Edmonton, LA, and Anaheim a lot. Like, I'd be yeah. a lot more scared about San Jose. And Vancouver. And Vancouver. Well, For example. I, I leave out Vancouver and Arizona, because those other three teams are just on another level. <laughs> I honestly would almost rather see San Jose in the playoffs, just because they their goaltending is so bad. But we play them so bad. We, I yeah. mean, well, sure, but, like...
1: Of the options that the Avs had, were there any that, other than maybe Nashville, that you really think the Avs can beat?
0: Oh, they yeah.
3: shouldn't beat Winnipeg, but they did look better against them in the last. I, was,
2: I would have taken Winnipeg in a, in a second. I, I think wouldn't. they look.
0: Win- Winnipeg but, are on the struggle bus, but playoff Winnipeg is a little bit different because yeah. they can get away with slightly more murder. They would but
1: grind us into the dirt.
0: The, the only team in the West that I actually am happy to dodge is st louis just because that goaltending magic is uh -uh, no no
3: thank you agreed yeah i wasn't looking forward to st louis either
0: calgary very beatable san jose you can score on them if you can score as much as they can score then you've got it vegas their goaltending is a question mark too yeah nashville but a little bit weaker than normal nashville winnipeg finishing the season on a real squeaker Dallas, definitely not much better than Colorado.
3: Oh, definitely yeah. not. I'd love yeah. to play Dallas. Yeah, if, be, we, that's if we could have messed up against Dallas, about. that would have been all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, who's scary is like, St. Louis' goaltender and Winnipeg's illegal murder. That's about it.
2: I mean, I think if, if you know, say, say the Avs do make it past Calgary and Vegas does make it past San Jose... Uh, that would mean that the, the Knights probably had some pretty good goaltending, so that that does make them a little bit scary.
3: It would be fun to play Vegas.
2: Yeah, it sure I, think. I think it would be a good series. It
0: would be a lot more fun than, uh, than going to the Shark Tank at least twice. Because Colorado sucks there.
2: They sure do. I don't like playing the Sharks.
0: And also watching games in San Jose, like the camera's bad, that color is off. Yeah. Like, ugh, ugh.
2: Yeah, guys, last don't time, have any
1: lights. We beat the sharks in the playoffs. They scored on themselves. So they
0: yeah. <laughs> yep, that was absolute highlight of the avalanche history. Um, but I'll take either one if it means Colorado got through Calgary.
1: I, I maybe I'm the pessimist, but I don't see that happening in reality.
0: We'll, we'll get to playoff. We'll, we'll get to playoff predictions right after we mention uh, what's going on with the Eagles playoff run. <sighs>
2: It's
1: dying at
2: an alarming pace. <laughs> <laughs> They'll probably be eliminated fairly soon.
0: They've just been um, losing games, or their opposition got hot, yeah. or what?
2: They've well, uh, they've gotten three points in their last six games after a nine-game win streak. So well, that's pretty
0: bad.
2: Yeah, they ran out of gas. Well, and
1: they gave up on all the kids. Tried to yeah. veteran squeak it out, and guess what? It backfired. <laughs>
0: Well, they if they tried to veteran squeak it out, how come Colorado's had Andrew know this whole time?
3: Yeah, that yeah. was a mistake. That's, they should have sent him back at
0: least one. a week.
1: They decided that's to play familiar. like literal ECHL face punchers instead. So,
0: pretty weird. Yeah.
1: The other but.
3: problem is the the team behind them Tucson had four games in hand.
0: Oh wow! And they won
3: all the four games in hand. So that's a lot. That hurts too. If if you look at it, if you look at the standings, the Eagles are only one point behind, but the other two, I think, the other have teams the have the games in schedule. hand. Yeah, They have the harder schedule. They're not winning. They're not scoring. So we mean
2: be unlikely. They, they did get some help, although Agassino really didn't help last night. Um, they did get some help from Shane Bowers and Hustle Hank, Nick Henry. um, They made their pro
0: debuts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hustle Hank.
2: Um, They both made their pro debuts last night. Um, Bowers looked really good. I mean, he looked like he'd been
3: playing there all year by the third period. Um, Yeah, he looked really good in the third period. Yeah. It also looks like he learned things elsewhere. It's like, oh, none of our other players do this stuff. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I think he's just, you know, He's a real center, which, you know, they sort of don't use people in their correct position sometimes. There, um, but he's a he's a real center and plays the center position well. Yeah, he um, got he's...
1: one game before they decided to throw him into the fire, though. <laughs> <laughs> he get, he's um, lining up with uh, Maxi McPlug and Michael Jolie in his next <laughs> game. So. Well, that's who he
2: was with last night. So good luck. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I really liked this game. They, they had a, it, it was great for, um, for one shift they had a, the end zone cam on at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, and it showed sort of Bowers playing his net front deal. And yeah, that that's something was cool. that it, it, it was actually NHL quality what he was doing in front of the net. Like he could go do that for the Abs right now, and it would, you know, it would fit right in. So. Um, that's going to be interesting to, to sort of see how he develops that game. Um, you know, both with the Eagles and what happens next fall, but, you know, that, that's sort of, it, it's something the abs really need. Like Gabe's really good there. And after that, it's sort of the, you know, like Wilson does okay, but he's just, he doesn't have the same puck skills or his puck skills are inconsistent. Um. You know, I, I'm really excited to see where where Bowers takes that point of his game. Um, Hustle Hank only got in with one practice, so <laughs> uh-uh. he didn't me. really.
3: <laughs> oh, it's totally our nickname for him. Like it's <laughs> it's coined and everything. Like it, it's not dying. <laughs> this absolutely kills me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know, his team, <laughs> the Left Bridge Hurricanes, were eliminated on Tuesday. He got. He got to Colorado uh, probably Wednesday evening or something like that. Got one practice on Thursday before they had to fly off to Chicago. So, you know, he he looked a little iffy on some of you know some of the forechecks and some of the core the coverages and whatnot. So, I, I I have a feeling like next weekend he's going to look a lot better after a full week of practice.
3: I am um, pleasantly surprised they played him at all. So that's nice.
2: Yeah, and and he the the second power play unit was fun because it was. Um, it was basically Bowers, Cout, and Henry with Greer behind the net and Mark Alt at the point. But Mark it is. What it is.
3: yeah, he's <laughs> definitely it a power play quarterback. But it actually looked like a real but... power play with with talent, and then yeah, that was still so, the second unit. <laughs>
2: yeah, but they did look good, and and you could see sort of what Henry's gonna be able to slide into as far as a role when he you know he gets a little better grasp of what, what's going on system wise and all that. So I I was I was, I was, some I was nice fairly impressed
3: with what they did. Yeah he yeah. did. Yeah. It's just he was passing to bass and not much happens then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Nantel.
2: You know it's a I I, I mean, it is what it is. I, I think it was fine for him to start his first game with just one practice on that line and just you know, yeah, playing him at get all get used is, to the speed nice. and, and, and the you know physicality it's, of the NHL. It's AHL. just so
1: disappointing when those two names could be Lewis and Dickinson and they're not.
2: Yeah, Lewis is scoring three points a game down in the ECHL for some <laughs> reason.
3: Even the coach is like, basically, like he's he doesn't belong at this level. <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, the Eagles may be rapidly becoming a long shot for the playoffs, but the Avalanche are in. Coming up this week are games one and two in Calgary against the Flames. The series starts on Thursday. The playoffs start Wednesday. Colorado's play on Thursday and goes every other day until somebody taps out. Thursday's game is at eight o'clock Mountain and Saturday's is at 830. Oof. Mm -hmm. We're going to have 10 o'clock Eastern starts for this whole series and probably for the whole next one, too, if there is one. Both games are on NBC Sports and CBC. For a little housekeeping, I'm planning for shows after games 2 and 5. Hope that's okay with y'all. Um, if the abs lose in 6 or 7, we'll do a wrap show fall- on the following weekend. If they win in 6 or 7, we'll squeeze in a show before the second round. Sound good? Uh, yes. If you think so, I'm doing
2: a pod at 1.30 in the morning on Sunday, I don't think so.
0: Well, no one's asking you to do something crazy like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we said after game 2. <laughs>
0: Okay. So is three o'clock in the afternoon on the on Sunday?
2: Oh, okay. Well, we could do that.
0: Yeah, I'm not directly following. <laughs> what the
3: hell? <laughs> so, with you might have to write that down for us too. What you're planning. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to visualize that, so if you could give us a little reminder there.
0: I mean, after game two is a Sunday, after game five is yep. a weekend, and then six and seven are on a, on weekdays, so it's either the following weekend or after the series. Yeah,
1: standard schedule, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think six is on Sunday, but we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Well, whatever it is, it's the remix Prediction Avalanche Playoff Edition. Flames on the road, everybody, I need to know who you're picking.
2: Just for the two games?
0: First, we'll do that.
2: Yeah.
1: No, see. One-one split. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Avs
2: take the one.
0: one. I, th- I think we may all be in agreement on a one-one split this
2: yeah. weekend. Yeah. So. I mean, I just looking at what they did last year, they could have won either of of the first two games in Nashville last year. Um, I, I I know they're not going to be sort of the surprise kids like they were last year, but. Um, you know I, I think that they can take one of the the early road games. it's It's pretty stock for that to happen actually in the first round, so
0: And so for the whole series, I mean if if you want to look at it kind of in that sort of what happened in the past way, Colorado could have and probably should have won two of those games in the regular season if they could have either a held it together and B got some goaltending.
3: Yeah, so, it has been a while since they played Calgary too. I that's think it's, true. yeah,
0: that may have been a totally different Calgary team back then. Because I have not watched Calgary. Why would I do that?
2: Yeah, they were way worse back then. But shh. Yeah, what was the last game? Was early January? I think so. Yeah,
3: their their big road trip, the bad road trip. <laughs> one of them (laughs) but it has been a while
0: is there ever a good western Canada road trip
3: no
2: (sighs) no not even back in the northwest division I'm so
0: glad the northwest division is dead (laughs) that was awful so if we're looking at a 1-1 split then that means that Colorado has the possibility of home ice advantage if they can pull it out in 6
3: I think they'll lose in six, but I th- yeah, i too. definitely think they can get the series to six.
2: I think they win in six.
0: I think we're going seven games. And as we know, when Colorado has to win this season, they have found a way to do it. So I'm picking the ABS in seven. Full homer.
2: Overtime in game seven?
0: Yeah. I, I I like breathing, so hopefully not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I guess that could be another question. How many games in this series go to overtime? Oh, zero.
1: One. I think every game in this 30. series is going to be a slaughter. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any against Nashville went to overtime.
0: They didn't. So, no. So they definitely do for at least one, but with with the way these teams score goals and the way that these teams can give up goals, I don't think there's any way that that this is a weird hockey series that goes to two or three overtimes. If if I mean there is a decent chance of weird hockey for the home games for Colorado cuz they're an hour late local. But
3: Yeah, well you know that game that starts at 8:30, that that'll be an overtime. Yeah, well at least it's a Saturday. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it'd be awesome if that went till three in the morning.
0: I think there'll be one or two. I think they're due. No, there'll be at least one. I just hope it's not Game Seven again.
3: Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's a little too much stress.
0: That could happen yeah. to other teams. The uh, the NHL playoffs are completely awesome unless your team is in them, and then it's terrible. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> no, that's my favorite part.
0: It's like if they're not ahead by three goals, you just want to uh to to you know. You, you want something different to be happening. Very I badly. hate the playoffs. <laughs> I love the first crazy. round. There's so much fun, except for you. Playoffs
1: team. are the best. Overtime game seven is the best. <sighs> it's just it's NBC. It's
0: yeah, that just, part there's sucks. so many things. And you know how much Pierre has liked coming to the Pepsi Center this year. Pierre yeah, is going I'm really to scared.
1: Are, yep. are, isn't round one going to be on altitude
2: at least for me?
3: I don't I don't know the the,
1: the, the home the game games five.
2: Games
3: five, and or game six might be, I think. What about three? That one's the one that's not on NBC Sportsnet.
0: Oh, it is on CBS. wonder about
3: that one. It's on CNBC.
0: All you need is one it, VPN. Is that phone. an actual primary? I don't know. For,
1: for people that live in Colorado, at least last year, all the home games were on Altitude, so...
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, the first round, they usually go ahead and let local coverage still do it if you're in market, but if you're out of market, then obviously... You still have yeah, CNBC for Game Three. But the yeah for these first two, we've got NBC Sports, CBC Sportsnet, and TVR.
1: So for you Game Center people, you're SOL.
2: But
0: that's pretty normal that for helped. the playoffs.
2: If Altitude yeah. does the games, I might have to get illegal feeds for that. Not that I'd ever do that, but I'd think about it.
0: <laughs> I just can't imagine watching Altitude on purpose.
2: It's better than NBC.
0: <laughs> I would rather watch TVR if I could.
2: Yeah. Do we
1: have a game on a Monday? I was wondering if they were going to get McGahee in there.
0: Game three is on Monday. And that would be yeah, game cool. three is on Monday.
1: Um, that would be sweet if they get McGahee, but...
0: So I think we're all in agreement for a split this weekend, and I think we're all in agreement for a long series that... Could go either way, probably Calgary favored, but I think we're also picking against the odds anyway as as a whole. Not that everyone agrees, of course. And uh, and
2: don't forget we have our Burgundy Rainbow Bracket Challenge that we'll be putting links up to here and there over the week, and you can make your picks for the entire playoffs.
0: Yes, go to NHL.com and join the Bracket Challenge. The, the group is called Burgundy Rainbow, and the password is GoABSCO, all one word, and we will beat you there. So obviously, like I'm gonna win it. I always do. I wanna.
3: Well, you're <laughs> gonna have to beat me, cause I won it last year.
0: I, I I'm sure I won it last year, cause I always win.
3: I picked Washington
1: to win four years in a row, and the year I didn't, they won. So I'm not gonna <laughs> pick me to win.
0: <laughs> I've I've never had either team in the finals, right? Like I'm I'm obviously shitting y'all. I'm I not
3: really feeling having a great feeling about any of these series, so I do not think I will win this year.
0: I don't know how to predict the West. At all. Yeah. The East is a little bit of a different story. The West, I flip a coin and you're going to (laughs) win. Like, come on.
2: Is anyone going to pick Toronto over Boston?
0: Oh, yeah. Why not?
2: No. No, I mean any of us.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You have to pick some contrarians or... You'll never beat anybody. I
2: actually looked this
1: up the other day, just by chance. The last time Toronto beat Boston in the playoffs,
2: nineteen
0: fifty nine. Wow! So does Toronto have Jake Gardner back for this series? Because that makes a difference.
2: Yeah, I think he he played the against the Habs, didn't he?
0: Then sure, I'll I'll give Toronto the the chance to finally slay that dragon. It's a, pretty, it's wow. a It'll be a pretty even series. I hey, think here's a question.
3: Tampa run all the way to the finals? Or are they going to yes. get knocked out like always, like the top team always does? No,
1: nope. it's their time. Tampa's taking the cup this year.
0: Well, see, the President's Trophy winner never wins the cup, except for every once in a while it does happen, and it hasn't happened in a while, so this will probably be it.
3: I think pretty much everybody would be fine seeing them win it because it is something to see a team that's that dominant. You, you want to see them be able to finish it.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, it's not like they're the Dallas Cowboys, or the Yankees, or some team. It, you
1: just
0: can't yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. They're not Duke,
2: right? They can
1: get it done. <laughs> and then once they get it done, I can start to hate them. So
0: yes. <laughs> once they're actually the juggernaut, then we can start looking at their fans and be like, "Yeah, why do you like the good team?" <laughs> Boring bastards. <clears throat> well, whatever ends up happening on Thursday and Saturday, you can know. You can find out here. The show will be up sunday night monday morning on soundcloud.com slash burgundy radio and on your itunes and your podcast catching devices on your apps and whatever you might tell your smart speaker to make a show up on google play i know that earl is into that for some reason um i do you can definitely find the show on BurgundyRainbow.com, or you can also find a link to the discord and come hang out during the playoff games with us and uh yell and scream and vent all your frustrations that you're maybe can't don't necessarily want to do out loud because there's people in the house that you live with and you don't want them to look down on you. But <laughs> hopefully Colorado come, but don't come back with a 2-0 deficit, but if they do, we've seen this week that that's apparently a good sign for them. Keep your head up, keep the dirty areas and we will see you next week. It is
2: You see Logan Couture's tweets about how what a great coach Bob Bugner is.
0: Yeah, I did not. <laughs> I don't. Generally He's look like, we'll take tweets. him back. He's
3: crazy.
1: never trust anyone with that much teeth.
2: <laughs> 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 what if we get Taylor Hall? We'll have to. <laughs>
3: did he have to get fixed up after he took a puck in the mouth?
1: Yeah, he'd find, like, apparently he was super self conscious about it because he had never lost a tooth as a hockey player before that. So he was, like, super happy that he busted up his front teeth.
3: Wow. (laughs) You might as well fix them all at once. But I think he had to have a different shit done he got really messed up yeah that.
1: cause his teeth were fucking gigantic his two front teeth are like horse teeth <laughs>
0: yeah. and you know honestly after he ro- roided up <clears throat> gained a lot of muscle mass to- Taylor Hall looks a lot less weird
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> sorry the NHL doesn't have a steroid problem
2: he doesn't have the horse face as bad as Couture but it- it's still there
0: Couture is definitely the horse race leader
1: <laughs> Taylor Hall has that rich kid look,
0: though. He does, but the, at least that's not weird. It's just douchey. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He he looks like he'd roll up and call you Stan Marsh the Darsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, I think this was a good show. I'm, yes. I'm going to clip out the part where Earl said some... Terrible lies about the Calgary's (laughs) playoff experience? I thought you were going
3: to say one.